Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, Jake, Gina, and Bethany for leading us in an incredible uh, somber acoustic set just to prepare our hearts as we are singing as one community together. Uh, is, there's just nothing like it. So, well, hey, good morning and welcome to Crossbridge. If it is your first time visiting or it has been a while, my name is Jordan. I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at C3 and just just so glad you're here. There really is no other phrase that, that better suits us here at C3 than being so glad that you have committed to either be with us here in person or online. And if it is your first time visiting with, with us in person, we would love to meet you after service and give you a cheesy box filled with candy, not cheese. And uh, if it is your first time watching online, uh, just comment down below and I'd love to connect with you after service as well. But there is no better place to be than here in community uh, just worshiping. Whether you even fully believe what we are singing or you are in the midst of the journey, you're here. And not on accident. You're here on purpose for a purpose. And we are spending four weeks walking through this series called Jesus Is. Well, we're not just looking at characteristics of Jesus. That word doesn't do Jesus justice. But we're looking at the embodiment of who Jesus is. What Jesus is for in the people that Jesus loves. And so last week, Brad walked us through Jesus is grace. Because until you accept that there is nothing, nothing in your life that disqualifies you from a relationship with Jesus and salvation with Jesus, except for denying Jesus as the Son of God. There's no mistake. There's no addiction. There's no abuse. There's no hurt. There's no trauma that you could go through that Jesus won't be walking and helping you through alone. And so until you accept that Jesus is grace, we really couldn't move on for the rest of the series. And so today we're walking through Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. And to help me with the introduction, I've got my little friend up here. Uh, everyone, I want to introduce you to starting quarterback in the 1950s of Northrop High School, Bruce Colbert. <laughs> if you think I'm lying, this really is. Yep. Yep. So uh, this thing came uh, into my possession last night at 9 o'clock when I was trying to figure out the sermon introduction. And I got home from celebrating my brother-in-law's birthday at Ziffel's Rib, uh, Rib and Pub. And we were having some great ribs. I got home. And uh, Maris is like, look what this is. I'm like, that's the greatest thing ever since sliced bologna. And so I get home and she's like, this isn't just like any, this, this is grandmama's present to Bruce Colbert, okay, while he was the starting quarterback. And I'm like, this is going in my office. And then when we have the podcast, it's going to go right on the shelf so that you can all see that Bruce Colbert, okay? Well, anyway, why this is part of the introduction, okay, why it's part of the sermon today is someone along the road told Bruce, Bruce, football's probably not in your future, Okay. Shared the hard truth. Like, Bruce, and the same conversation my mom had with me. I remember sitting in sixth grade with my mom at the table, and she said, Jordan, sports really aren't your thing. And I said, Mom, I'm not the academic type. I'm the athletic type. I'm like, son, that just ain't it, okay? That's not the play, okay? 
Well, it's so good. So Bruce ended up learning, you know what, maybe football isn't my thing. So he went into a, a very long-lived career as an engineer that only lasted about a year before he then became a pastor at Crossbridge. <laughs> Cut his salary in half and then started working more hours. It was great. Who doesn't want to be a pastor? And so uh, anyway, just the hard truth that, that someone shared with him. And, uh, you know, uh, it as I've made fun of Brad a lot, and we've kind of had this back and forth banter, I was walking up the stairs this morning, and, and Mark Bloom, who's running our slides right now, he handed me my outline, okay? He said, Jordan, here's your outline for today. You're going to start out talking about Chipotle, and then you're going to make fun of Brad, which in this case was Bruce, and then you're going to reference Chipotle again, and then you'll find a way to make fun of Brad that's not originally on the outline, and then you're going to close by talking about Chipotle. And if you were at my... Last sermon, um, someone counted, and at eight different times, I referenced Chipotle. Um, <clears throat> my goal today is less than six. And so, uh, but he shared with me the hard truth. Um, and, you know, some of us, we know the saying, like, hey, the truth just hurts. There we go. The truth hurts. And I remember a couple months ago, it was actually almost a year to the day, Brad was so excited because he had just finished putting together this new, brand new C3 Sports website. He was so excited about it. He didn't want anybody's help. He's like, I'm going to do it. Then thank the good Lord, before he published this website, he's like, Jordan, will you check it? Just goes to show, always have a millennial check your work in nowadays culture. Uh, side note, before we get back to the C3 Sports story, I was on Facebook this week looking at the greatest church signs in history. And one church posted, we love hurting people. And it, the laughter builds as you start to realize. And I, it took me a while. I had to go to the comment section. What's wrong with this? Well, we love hurting people. Of course we do. Probably shouldn't put that as a church sign. <laughs> and so uh, someone shared with me one out in the hallway, um, you belong in hell. And I'm like, there's just some things you need a millennial to check over to see how it's going to be received. Anyway, back to the C3 Sports story. So Brad was so proud of his website. And he came, I looked over, I'm like, Brad, this is awful. <laughs> and he's like, how much time do you need to fix it? And I said, three days in a bowl of Chipotle. And so how are we doing, Mark, on the outline? I think we're at point number four. He said point number five. All right. <laughs> so we got a couple more Chipotles to make up for it. But then you've got the people, and this might be you too, who start sentences like, hey, no offense. Okay, no offense, but I'm about to say something that's going to rip your heart out. Okay, that's someone saying, no offense, I just don't like your speaking. Like, I don't know what to do with that. And they're like, like, no offense, but your outfit is just not it today. I'm like, well, it's second service. I can't change. So, you know, we say that though. Sometimes the truth hurts. But what if it didn't need to and was never designed to? And in fact, what if the truth isn't something we believe, but rather someone that we follow? Why don't you turn with me to John chapter 14 as we dive into our passages for today. I'm going to put little Bruce on the floor because I don't want to break him. Um, he's very fragile. And if you know Bruce, he's the most emotional person you'll ever meet. And so we don't want to break Bruce. We're going to save that for generationally speaking. But turn with me to John chapter 14 for this passage today. And as you are turning with me there, either on your YouVersion app, uh, a hard copy, it'll also be on the screen. I just want to give some context of what's happening. So Jesus in, it's, it's the last like, or the, the, the 
about two-thirds of the way into John, chapters 12 through 17, 18, um, those five or six chapters, Jesus is spending his final moments with his disciples. With the, the 12 disciples, the, the, the men and the women, there's probably, um, you know, 15 to 20 people of this group in this final meal with Jesus, in this last 30 hours of Jesus' life. And you can sense the urgency of what Jesus is talking about. And John records, he's one of the only ones who really records this urgency because he spends six or seven chapters just filled with Jesus' knowledge and his wisdom. As he is talking to his disciples, he's like, hey, I've spent my entire three public years, but 33 years of my life, 33 years of my life, and then three years with you disciples, showing you how to love people. Now, I want you to have the understanding and the knowledge and the wisdom of who I am. And so he goes into this deep theology, and that word theology is literally just the study of the knowledge of God. And so John is recording Jesus, talked about this deep theology in this room 30 hours, about 30, 24 to 30 hours before Jesus is crucified, is killed. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Verse 14, 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Verse 4. You know the way. Do you know the way? Sorry, I had to add that for all my millennials. Okay. Verse 4. You know the way to the place where I am going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And then verse 6 is where we're going to spend our time today. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Would you pray with us? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this community. Thank you for these translations lasting centuries and generations so that we could study them and pray over them and live them out according to your Holy Spirit, God, as the advocate who guides us through these waters. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and for John recording these words. We pray, God, that we will learn from them, and that you would open our eyes so that we may see the wonderful things in your law. In your name I pray. And everyone says, amen. Amen. And just kind of a hashtag ad, uh, if you are not a part of our online campus, it is our Facebook group attached to our Crossbridge Community Church Facebook page. And this week, we are walking through some of the most common Christian lingo, Christian words that we say often but don't necessarily know what they mean. And tomorrow we're kicking off the week learning and studying the word amen. And then we're going to walk through Selah, which is seen often in scripture. Uh, we're going to walk through the word theology. The, we're going to walk through elders and deacons and lay people. Um, and so some deep words. We're going to walk through the word holiness and holy. Words that we use often in the Christian context, but might not necessarily know why we say them, where they originate from, and what they mean for us today. So hashtag ad, if you're not a part of the campus, go on to Facebook. If you don't have a Facebook, Create a Facebook and 
You don't need to friend anybody. You can just send us a request to join the group. It's going to be an awesome study this week. But John 14, 1 through 6, some really deep theology that honestly, I don't even know if I understand the fullness of its truth, of the truth, of Jesus. Jesus doesn't very often in his three years of public ministry declare to be the Son of God. He doesn't very often, in fact, he just shows people, and he would often even tell the demons who knew he was the Messiah to stay quiet about it. Or people he would heal. He would say, but don't tell the world what I just did until the right time, until the perfect timing. Towards the end of his life, he then starts to become more aggressive about sharing that he's the Messiah. And he really wants to do that with these disciples. The men and women who are there with him in this room, um, breaking bread, the Passover meal, and he's sharing this deep theology. He wants them to understand. He says, verse one, okay? You believe in the God of the Old Testament. We just sang about that, in same God. Okay, when Jake, uh, Jake was sharing with me months ago, when we, it was probably back in May when we were about to go in, outside. He's like, hey, I'm gonna bring this song and introduce this song in August when we come back in. I was so excited. It's one of my favorite songs that the same God we serve today is the God of Moses and the God of Jacob and the God of Esther and the God of Boaz and the God of Ruth and the God of Sarah. And it's the same God today that we believe. And he says in 14.1, he says, you believed in that God. You grew up believing in that God. He's talking to his disciples who many of which would have grown up in Jewish tradition and then cast it out because they just weren't good enough to move on to the next level of education. And so that's why some of them became uh, fishermen. Some of them became uh, tax collectors. Some of them, um, you know, different areas of construction or of working because they weren't good enough to move on to become a Pharisee or a religious leader. And Jesus chose the unqualified to do the unfathomable. It was incredible. Well, in this verse, he says, he makes that bold claim. I am who I say I am. I am the son of God. And you believed in God. Why don't you believe in me? And Thomas, um, his disciple, answers and responds in a way that we would respond today if Jesus was walking the world. He says, how do we know the way? How do we know the way to paradise? How do we know the way to truth? How do we know the way to justice? How do we know the way to grace, to love, to mercy, to understanding? And Jesus goes into this deep theology. He's like, don't you see me? I am God and God is me. And it it opens up this really deep understanding of God that humans have now identified and kind of categorized it as the Trinity theology. And here at Crossbridge, we believe there's one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you're like, that doesn't make any sense, you fit right in. (laughs) People have spent hundreds of years trying to learn and navigate through what we call the Trinity. It's a word and a language that isn't known in the original text. It's one that we've just kind of put together to identify and understand God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus later on in John 14, he says, hey, I'm going to be leaving you, but I will send to you an advocate. That word advocate in Greek is paraclete, and it literally means the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus ascends, he is going to breathe, and there's going to be the Holy Spirit entering in his place. Third person, 
of God. And what is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit that we talked about a whole series about in um, uh, 2021 called Supernatural. Holy Spirit is God in the person of God on earth and in us when we allow him to be. What does the Holy Spirit do? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus says he's a friend. He's an advocate. He's a helper. He helps us navigate. But then he also calls him and identifies him as the Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. Jesus is truth. He says that in verse six as he's talking with his disciples. He's like, I really want you to understand this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And it's a bold claim. It's a hard truth. But what if it didn't have to be? You see, Jesus, when he says, I am the truth, it's, it's this Greek word that talks about, it. it's literally the embodiment of who Jesus is. It's not a characteristic that describes Jesus. It's literally the embodiment, the absoluteness, the, 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 uh, something that encompasses, who, encompasses all of who Jesus is. And so if Jesus is the truth, and we need to trust him. And what does that look like? I asked my Facebook friends this week, I said, do you believe in God? Yes or no? And 40 responses um, from 20 different friends, half of which said yes, half of which said no, and then a half of the half that said yes said, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like the church. And reading the responses, I mean, like, this is where our world is right now, but it's actually where our world's always been, but it's specifically with media today and entertainment today, people are spending more time on Fox and CNN and Facebook and Twitter than they are studying and praying and learning and educating from Jesus' words. We're finding truth elsewhere. We're finding truth elsewhere. And it's heartbreaking. And God placed this phrase on my heart this week that I really didn't want to share, but sometimes the truth hurts, is that we aren't fit to follow Jesus today. We aren't fit to follow the Messiah. How do I know this? Because we are consumed by two things, idolatry and comfort. And when we start doubting and having tough questions, which we welcome here and we love and we walk with you here, rather than spending time in prayer, learning from the Holy Spirit, and not just like two minutes in the car, but I'm talking like tough time and intense time in prayer. 30 minutes, an hour, four hours, 10 hours, days of praying and listening. We say we just don't have time for that. We push Jesus to the side. Too many of us aren't fit to follow Jesus. Jesus said the same thing with his disciples. Some people who were asking to follow him, he said, go home first and sell everything and then your idolatry will no longer consume you. Then you can follow me. And the person said, I can't do that. <laughs> and we often say today, well, Jesus would never ask us to sell everything to follow him. Yeah, he would. <laughs> what consumes your heart? Because that will take place of understanding Jesus as the Messiah. 
as truth. Not as a characteristic of who Jesus is, but literally who Jesus is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the roadmap. I am truth. I am the embodiment of truth. And then the life. I am the way through into salvation. It's deep theology. And it's what people have to wrestle with. Every single human here, every single human in the world has to come to grips with, do you believe or do you not? C.S. Lewis, theologian, famous theologian, he writes this book called Mere Christianity where he talks about this concept and it's known as the liar, lunatic, or Lord theology. And this is a quote from that story, okay? Uh, in liar, lunatic, um, and uh, Lord theology. C.S. Lewis writes this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be just a great moral teacher. No, he would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell, which the devil is known as the prince of lies. You must make your choice. Either this man, this Jesus, was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something far worse. Lewis writes this, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord in God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, for he has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. What a powerful claim from a theologian that many of us know and study and read through the Chronicles of Narnia, where there's this deep, rich theology uh, hidden within the lines of these fiction books author of Mere Christianity says, at some point in our lives, we have to answer the question for ourselves, was Jesus a liar? Was Jesus a lunatic? Or was Jesus truth? Was Jesus love? Was Jesus Lord? Some of you sitting here today are doubting that third one. You're questioning. You're wondering. You're wavering. You're struggling why we believe what we believe, but you're here. And I love that. Crossbridge is a safe place for questions, for doubts, for struggling, for sin, because we're all sinners. But we're not gonna let you stay there because we believe that when we accept Jesus, our lives are transformed. 1 Peter 3.15, I'm not gonna put it on the stream. I just kind of wanna walk through Peter asks the exiles who have been kicked out of their synagogues, he says, hey, you're gonna have to have a reason to tell people why you believe what you believe. He says, be prepared to answer that question. Okay, write it down in your notes. First Peter 3, 15, 16. Peter says, be prepared to, if you have Jesus, if you believe Jesus is truth, be prepared to defend it. And so I was asked this question a couple of months ago. Why do you believe God is, is God? in a world full of suffering, in a world full of destruction. And I responded back, because I chased after the world and it left me empty. I chased after porn. 
I chased after pride. I chased after um, self-ambition. Um, I was consumed by mental illness. I was consumed by grief. And it just left me empty. And in my emptiness, Jesus helped me. I can't fully prove that Jesus exists. But I've tried believing he didn't, and it didn't work out. When I felt helpless, God gave me hope. When I felt broken, God blessed me. When I was shattered, God gave me strength and walked with me every doubt and every step of the way. And I, I mean, I'm in this difficult season right now. Okay, a lot, a lot of times, I mean, sometimes pastors, like, you, you might put them on as a holy girl. This has been a different, different and difficult and challenging season that I'm wavering through, sometimes stumbling through, and I still have not lost sight on believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Because when Jesus truly has hold of your life and you give him permission to change you, it's impossible to let go but it takes a long time to get to that place of saying, God, I trust you. So here's the question I want you wrestling with. How can we trust that Jesus is the true Messiah? How can we trust that? I'm gonna give you a few things to be thinking about because at the end of the day, this is a decision that you have to make and that you might be walking through and wavering through and stumbling through and struggling through all throughout your life. In fact, if you're not, then you're probably not asking tough questions. So I wanna invite you into the wrestle, invite you into the struggle, asking those deep questions. We're gonna spend a few minutes looking at non-Christian sources that confirm that Jesus was a historical person because there is far too much evidence proving that he walked this earth from non-Christian but accurate and reliable sources. So it's impossible to refute that Jesus was an actual human being. And then we're going to walk through how, as a Christ follower, I have accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to close with one verse and then a story. We're going to go just a little bit long today, um, but I hope that's okay, because I, I believe it's filled with some deep, deep thoughts, okay? And so here are four people I want you to know. Four historical people, secular people, who didn't accept Jesus was the Son of God, but accepted that Jesus was a historical person. They're writers and historians of the first and second century, okay? Four people. First one, Cornelius Tacticus. He was a Roman historian. Actually, he was one of the greatest Roman historians that modern scholars today confirm all of his works as being historically accurate and or not theologically, being philosophically deep and understanding and referencing points. And we use his works in quite a few different areas. He confirmed that Jesus was a real person and that the church, especially in that first, second century, was under heavy persecution. Second person I want you to know, Pliny the Younger. This was a Roman governor. This wasn't a historian. This was someone who hated the church, had every reason to lie and say that Jesus was a myth, but he couldn't do it because there was so much going on around him and in the community he was trying to control that was worshiping this Jesus, he says there's no other way. There's no other way that this church could explode the way it did. Jesus was a real person. Third person, probably the most famous that you need to know is Flavius Josephus. Who doesn't want a name like Flavius, okay? That is just incredible. Flavius Josephus, a Jewish historian, 
probably the best evidence that we have that Jesus not only was a person, but was the son of God, okay? Uh, He was born in about, I think it was 37 AD, died 100 AD. We believe Jesus was um, crucified somewhere between 30 and 33 AD, depending on the exact year he was born. Um, And so he was born, Flavius Josephus was born about four to six years after the death of Jesus, Why is this significant? Well, most of the letters that we have in the Gospels were written in 60, 70, 80, and 90 AD. Okay, about one every decade, 60, 70, 80, 90, and with John's Gospel um, probably being one of the last. And so you've got that 40 era period where Josephus was not only just alive for watching these apostles who were still alive, But in fact, he was already started his career. In around 62 AD, we know that James, the brother of Jesus, was violently murdered in the same community that Josephus was living in. He didn't confirm that he witnessed it, but he confirmed that James was killed for Jesus. Remember that point because it's going to matter when we get to the second part of this. Okay, fourth person, Suetonius, a Roman historian, confirmed the expansiveness of the the church, refers to Jesus as Christus, which means Christ in his documents. There's no refuting that Jesus was a historian or a historical person. The the amount of historians in that time that confirm this is mind-blowing. We might only see four names up there and think, well, that's not that many, okay? Because there's a million things uploaded every second on the internet. That wasn't the case for these people. To have just one person confirm your identity was mind-blowing. He had four. Jesus was a historical being. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he was the true Messiah. So why do we believe that God... One God, three persons, through Jesus, was the true Messiah. A couple things to think about, Christian things to think about. Um, there's 24,000 ancient articles and artifacts and letters and translations that have been used in those first, hundred, first 300 years um, about Jesus. 24,000 with very little discrepancy between translation and translation. Different languages, hundreds of different authors, different translators, and nobody's been able to debunk it. It's mind-blowing. 24,000 pieces of information confirming the miracles that Jesus did. It's mind-blowing. You got Jesus then in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the epistles of Peter, and then James, his brother, uh, who confirmed they were eyewitnesses to these events. And you might be like, okay, well, you can't use the Bible to defend the Bible, but why not? Even if you just look at the Bible as a historical document, in that time period when it was being written, again, mind-blowing to have that many people confirming the same story. With some of those Roman historians and governors that we talk about, only reason we know they were real people was because of their writings. Jesus then appeared to over 500 people. We know this from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this really important phrase I want you to think about. He says this, Jesus then appeared to his disciples and then over 500 people, including James. Here's why this is so important. And this is kind of the make it or break it for so many people of why I believe that Jesus was the son of God. 
You may not have known this, but before Jesus was killed, his siblings did not believe he was the Messiah. Jesus' own brothers and sisters doubted him, did not believe that he was the son of God before he was killed. Can you imagine how heartbreaking that would be? Then as soon as Jesus was killed and resurrected and appeared, he specifically appeared to James. James went from doubting to game on. Josephus confirms that James was killed for being one of the greatest church planners. He led the church in Jerusalem and was killed in 62 AD because of it. I don't know about you, okay? But if my siblings doubted me and then I died and didn't come back, they wouldn't just necessarily switch their stance all of a sudden and be like, hey, he was the son of God and then be killed for me. Especially not my sister Taylor. Right? She'd be like, nah, keep him dead, you know? Okay? James, something switched with him where he was now willing to die for this being, for this God, for the truth. Something changed. And it's revolutionary for us today. Here's what I want you to wrestle with, okay? Whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're a non-believer, whether you're a new believer, or whether you are a generational believer, whether you're wrestling with questions, whether you're struggling with doubt, whether you're feeling shame from past sin, whether you're hurting, whatever it might be, don't give up in the grind. I'm glad you're here. Ask the questions, wrestle with it, but eventually you have to make the decision. Was God a liar? Was God a lunatic? Or was God Lord? Last verse. This is probably the scariest verse for me in all of scripture. It's one I've really wrestled with. It's Matthew 7, 21. Jesus is talking about having true, genuine faith in him. And this is what he says to his followers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Friends, it's not enough to just identify Jesus as Lord. The demons knew that Jesus was the Son of God. The demons believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And James writes, Jesus' brother we just talked about, that they shuddered. It's not enough to just believe. So then what do you do? Your life is transformed. You take next steps. You study the gospels. You pray. You serve. You give. You volunteer. You do the hard work. You put others before yourself. That's something the demons could never do. Why were they cast out of heaven with Satan? Because they wanted to be glorified. God said, you have a choice. You can either pursue self-ambition and glory, or as we saw with, um, uh, with the passage earlier, or with C.S. Lewis's works, or you can get on your knees and surrender. You can't have both. So here's what I want you to walk through today. Okay, I want you to ask those deep questions. Where do you stand with that deep question? What, why do I believe or why do I not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Wrestle, ask, but don't Google. <laughs> not yet at least. Spend some time seeing the word of God transform you. Here's how I want to close. I had a friend, we were walking through a Christian ministries class 
tough subjects. We just had this class talking about uh, homosexuality and abortion and racism and social justice and difficult, touchy subjects where people in the class were on every side of the aisle, okay? People that I'm getting my theology degree with at Anderson on every side and pointing to verses and pointing to scripture and we're having this incredible conversation, but it was really exhausting. And so afterwards, my friend pulled me aside. He said, hey, can we talk? And so we met and he's like, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can go into church ministry knowing that this is where people are. Like, wouldn't it be so much easier if we were just all on the same page? I'm sure it would be, but that's not the world. And so he asked me, he's like, how do we do it then? And this is what I shared with them. I said, the Bible is so incredible and so overwhelming. So whenever you are studying and looking for answers and getting overwhelmed, stick to the red letters. Some of you might not understand that reference, but a lot of Bible translations today put all of Jesus's words in red letters. And it's not saying just ignore the rest of the Bible. It's saying when you start struggling, go back to the words of Jesus before you then venture any further into the abyss, <laughs> okay? A lot of people my age, this, this touchy word right now called deconstruction, okay? Deconstruction in and of itself is not a bad thing, okay? It's just like the pruning process where you're gonna cut out the old and the things that you grew up believing that aren't necessarily of God and not, aren't necessarily of Jesus. Deconstruction only becomes a bad thing when it's not followed by reconstruction. When you cut back too far on the pruning of the rose and it dies and you walk away completely. So if you are wavering and struggling and doubting and wrestling with that question, go back to the words of Jesus. Allow Jesus to reconstruct into something stronger, healthier, and more beautiful. It's a powerful process, one that I've been through myself. And it forced me to ask the question, why do I believe what I believe? You might not ever fully understand the answer to that question, but please don't give up asking. Because Jesus was very clear towards the end of the life, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way, he says, except through me. So surrender your sins, surrender your pride, and submit to the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your words. Thank you, God, for not just being the characteristic of truth, but being the embodiment of truth, being truth, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. There is no other way to the Father, to paradise, to heaven, to the kingdom of God except through you. We can't Google or Facebook our way to another avenue. We can't follow other gods. We can't li live a life of sin, being, being just consumed by it, and expect that we are fit to follow. We must sacrifice and pick up our cross daily, surrendering our will for yours. And it's messy, and it's gross, and it's touchy, and it is difficult and exhausting. But God, when we are weary and when we are empty, you help us. Lord, I pray that we would be unwavering in our, our convictions while being unconditional in our love. In your name I pray, amen.